Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Jan and I are, you know, we just had a good, good gossip for a while. You know, we just had a nice little break. And as a consequence, we now have to get our minds back into the game. And we were having a little debate about what topic we should do next. And I think I think I won this debate. I think you did. Because Jan was like, <laughs> gave up. So that's, that's a win, right? Um, okay, let's do... One of the questions that we got asked on social media, what we addressed was, translational or public criminology in policing research for grad students. The issue for grad students right now, especially in this particular um, climate, We've got the pandemic going on. We've had a year and a bit of, of protests and uh, reform or or deform. <laughs> I, that's what we should call hashtag deform the police, right? Um, <laughs> there you go. You, you try to get that to catch on, Laura. I'm gonna, <laughs> t-shirts will be coming out in the fall. Um, so we've had all this stuff going on and then grad students also are increasingly feeling a lot of pressure to do media work and which is really strange to me because back in the, you know, the days of the dinos, we didn't have media and so you didn't have media, (laughs) we didn't have media like we do now. Right. We didn't have like podcasts and the doing this and doing the that and um so there and we didn't have universities like trying to put us out there in terms of you know doing mainstream media interviews is it just facilitating facilitating like oh like i know our university does that like they can contact the media office and the media office will find somebody that that person that reporter can talk to on that topic so we get emails about that from our people saying, are you available, you know, in two hours to do this interview? Well, this is it. And so there's a lot of sort of questions about whether or not grad students um, should be doing this, what avenues are better or worse when you're starting out, because the the downside of this, everybody's like, oh, this is fantastic. Why would you want to not let grad students do this? Well, I'm not a grad student, clearly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Jan. ageism laughter happening here you um, said clearly so it made me laugh um but i i'm not gonna lie i personally find it um challenging to do media and so i do too did you get any training from your university no <laughs> sorry asu no we didn't <laughs> no and, and and i think a lot of people end up kind of relying on like their mentors to teach them how to do it. And, and um, I know Mike did a lot of interviews and, and, you know, you watch those interviews or you listen to those interviews with the radio or whatever, but um, it's not, I mean, especially with TV news, I mean, they, they could do like a 30 minute interview with you and use a five second clip. So, you know, you're never seeing the full story. And, and I think it's, um, it's just not something that most faculty members think to, to train their, you know, graduate students in how to do, because it's like, well, why, why would you, I mean, not like, what, like, why would you right now? They think of it in the now, right? Like you're not going to need it now, not necessarily thinking, oh, but later on, you know, they will. And so I think it's, and it's definitely becoming a bigger thing now where 
news, TV news or radio or podcasts or whatever are coming to academics to talk to them about their stories. And I don't know that that necessarily was the case, even, you know, 10 years ago that they were necessarily interviewing people as much as they are now. 100%. So over the past little while, for five years, when I was running um, the Canadian Society of Evidence-Based Policing, I did no media or very limited media because it's one of those things where as a policing researcher who's trying to work on police reform issues, the last thing I wanted to do was be the talking head person. Um, Cause you know, I was trying to build up trust within the community. And one of the comments I frequently got from police practitioners was, well, if you think that, why are you not in the media saying this? Cause I, I right. would do, I would do seminars. And, um, I realized that there really was an appetite for diverse types of people to speak. Mm-hmm. But that said, 20 years into my career, I just did my first, um, interview with like using zoom and right. <laughs> it, I, it was, I, I swear I was sweating bullets. Like I I just just did my first news interview doing Zoom, and it was terrifying. I'm like, okay, where's, like, the best place to have a good background? And, like, where's the best lighting in my house? (laughs) Where's the best lighting in my house? You know, I mean, it's just things like that that you never really, I guess, had to think about before. You know, they they would come, and they would do your news interview. Like, they kind of pick something for you, you know. Well, let's have you over here. Let's do this outside where it's good lighting or whatever. But... It's, it's, it's a whole different thing. So have you ever done the in-studio one where they put you in a makeup chair? No, I've only had it where they came, they've come to my office, um, on campus and then pre-pandemic, they came to my office, um, in, in the, on campus. And then, um, I've done them since during the pandemic, I've done them on Zoom. So let's run through some of the common ones and some of the, the tips and tricks that we might be able to share from our our horrible experiences or our good experiences. So how about radio call-in shows? Have you done one of those? I've, I've never, never done radio. Oh, you chicken. <laughs> I've never been asked to do radio, to be fair. <laughs> so you haven't done radio at all? Even no. as an interview? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So the, from my experience, there's, there's two main types of radio. One is radio where it's just you and the interviewer and you're just answering questions. The second type is the call-in, and there was this... That would terrify me. I did one. I did one, and I was like, oh, wow. I was talking about policing uh, and the pandemic, and somebody called in beforehand and about masks and the fact that masks are being discarded, and so it's going to change the biosphere, and it will bring down agriculture in Canada because of the pollutants and the something, something. And then at a certain point, it was like, I got nothing. Right. Like, <laughs> what is this about policing? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Um, and so <clears throat> what I was fortunate that I, I didn't always have to directly respond to the person, but I had to try to reference what they were talking about. So I felt right. like in that situation, I focused more on what the interviewer was doing and less on the call. Right. And I found that sort of an easier way to um, sort of manage that. And the interviewer, who's clearly experienced in dealing with these call-ins, 
kind of knew, okay, we got to cut this one off. Like, so, right. Or, or thanks for that comment. Moving on. Right. 100%, which by the way, we do in class sometimes too. It's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> or it's, it, when it talks, <laughs> it talks to other academics. Thank you for your question and moving along. Your question is a comment. comment. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> 20 minutes later. Um, so that's, the, so there's those ones. Those ones, I think, uh, I don't know. Do, uh, you're, you said you're kind of a little bit freaked out by the idea of the call-in. So would you advise people to do call-in? I mean, as graduate students, probably not. I think, and I think even with, with really any media, I think part of the issue is, um, you know, if you have graduate students that are leading projects and like leading things, then obviously they're going to be the point of contact, right? So of course they're going to be the one that's, that's doing interviews. And I think really just doing what's comfortable for you. If you don't, if you're, if the idea of having to deal with extemporaneous phone calls and that it could be on any topic under the sun could be super combative, could be not combative, right? Um, if that's just something that you're not comfortable doing, then don't do it. Um, if you would prefer to do the more, you know, one-on-one -on -one interview thing, I mean, in, like news interviews, right? If it's not live television, if they're just interviewing you for like a, like one that they put together themselves, you know, they'll probably do it for, again, like a 30 minute interview and they're only going to use pieces of it. And so they ask lots of questions. They, a good reporter will feed off of what you're saying. And, you know, so the advice I always got was stick to what you know and never try to answer a question that you don't know the answer to. Right. So they ask you a question, you know, it's okay to say, uh, I don't know. I can't speak to that. Or um, I know somebody who is an expert in that. Right. Area. You know, but, but I, I, you're better off talking to so-and-so about that topic. Right. But I could answer, I could talk to you about this. Right. And so I had a news interview where it kind of veered off into a slightly different topic, which was kind of funny because um, it was about, um, they were interviewing me about the, the uh, Derek Chauvin trial and asking about, um, just policing and what does it mean for policing, you know, moving forward. And I was like, that's a really broad question. <laughs> like, do we have 45 minutes? You know? exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm talking about this and I kind of mentioned and sort of in passing mentioned that I, I researched body cameras and they said, oh. oh, and then they kind of went off. We were talking about misconduct and, and um, body cameras and what this means for reform and things like that. And then literally, a week later, after this interview that I'd done, um, was a, an officer-involved shooting in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And North Carolina has really weird body camera rules. And so now the entire nation knows about North Carolina's really weird body camera rules uh, for release because it became this big national headline. Mm -hmm. And so he, I, I was unable to do the interview uh, for him. I was Unfortunately, I was unable to do it. Um, but he was able to pull from that previous interview and use information from that because yeah. I had already talked about it, actually. And so I found myself quoted in the story. I was like, oh, he <laughs> pulled from this other interview I had done. So being able to talk about what I knew, you know, while it wasn't necessarily relevant for the story he was doing, it ended up actually being relevant, you know, a week later, randomly. But, you know, it's funny you say that because I've had my tweets quoted. Mm-hmm. Right. I've yeah. People, people are pulling tweets off of the Internet and putting them because TV news is all about what looks good on TV. Exactly. So tweets, blogs yep. I've had recycled. And, and so 100 percent. You know, one of the things that I agree with you about the comfort thing, 
I think one of the best ways to build comfort is to start out by pot with podcasts. There's so mm-hmm. many gazillion podcasts, including this one, but this is of course the best. Um, but here's, <laughs> here's the thing. You, there's so many opportunities to do podcasting. They're informal. Right. You typically have some kind of a, you know, conversation going, you have some, some level of control over the topic and what you're going to say. It's a great way, I think, to sort of um, throw yourself in and get used to the whole being interviewed by media thing. Sure. I remember my first TV news interview and it was about policing in the pandemic and and I swear this is relevant to podcasts, I swear. I will come back to it. <laughs> but I was doing one, and it was on Zoom, right? Because it was during the pandemic. And so I asked him, I said, Are you, you're editing this, right? And he said, yes. And so he was very nice. And <laughs> I was so nervous. And he's like, I can tell you're nervous. You know, Just relax, it's okay. And I kind of got, I was answering a question, and I, I, I talked around myself, right? And then I talked myself into this weird spot, and I was just like... <sighs> Can we start over? <laughs> and, and he he was very, again very nice. He was like, yeah, sure. So he you know, kind of because he knows he needs to edit, you know, areas to edit, right? So he stuck. He pauses for a second. And he's, he repeats the question, and I answered it much better that time, right? So I was kind of thinking as I was talking, right? And so I and I think way faster than I talk, amazingly enough. And so I was getting ahead of myself. Like I, I would, I, I yeah. couldn't remember what I was trying to say. And I'm like, Oh crap. What I had this great idea. What did I, you know, what was it? And so then I had thought through it. And so then I could answer it better the second time. And so I think with podcasts, especially uh, podcasts other than this one are often edited. And so it can be really helpful if you're like, I don't know, you know, and you kind of talk it through, but then they, they end up editing it. So it sounds much more, you know, coherent. This is a good piece of advice that you can be extracted from this, from your, your unfortunate news experience, which is <laughs> um, I prepare in advance because I have the same problem, right? right? I'm like, I will start conversations halfway through because I've already asked and answered in my head, right? More right. Something else. So I'm a terrible interviewee. Um, so mm-hmm. what I do is I actually, before I do the interview, come up with my top at my talking points. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly what are the key things, regardless of what they say or what they do. This is what I'm talking about. And I want to make sure this gets covered and this gets mentioned. Yeah. So I'll find a spot to put it in. Yeah, exactly. And so I think the other thing too, is oftentimes people think that because you're being interviewed, you it's a passive role. You're just there to like you know, cough up whatever, um, you have to say, but it's going to be led by the other person. And I've never been really, this will come as a shock to you, Jan, but I've never really been comfortable with turning over power to anybody else. (laughs) Cause they, they mess it. I'm shocked and amazed. They don't get it right. So I think that I have to make sure that I orchestrate things. So I, and I try to have as much control. So if you're talking to me about X and I don't want to talk about X, I'm going to start talking about Y. Right. And I think that to get to that level of comfort, if that's not something that comes naturally to you, again, I think podcasting is a great way to start, you know, 
figuring out the flow and the dynamics right. of the interaction so that you can build up that confidence. Um, let's see, what else do we have to talk about about media? Anything so I think if we're talking about translate translational criminology, right? So yeah. translating for students. And, and so I think media is one way to do it, right? Like media interviews and, and it comes up. But I think when we talk about open and public <clears throat> criminology and this idea of of making your, for policing in particular, right? One of one thing that comes up is is how to make your, your findings, your research available to the people who are going to need it because, you know, we're all, we're all, we're all publishing and things that are probably paywalled um, because we need it for our academic career, right? But the, the you know, the, the practitioner may or may not have access to that. And I remember being at a round table at ASC one time and it was, um, I think it was a, I think it was a Leeds scholars one. And um, somebody mentioned, some uh, police officer mentioned that they, you know, well, I, I can't get access to it. And like, no joke, like the seven or eight academics that were in the room, like all whipped out their business cards and said, here you go. If you ever need access to an article, I'll get it for you. Right. Yeah. You know? And, and so it was like, who can get their business card out first? You know, <laughs> we all handed it to them and, and, you know, handed them around the room. And so I think it's, you know, we're all, help, you know, more than happy to give, you know, give out our, our research or find a research, right, for somebody that's, hey, do you have access to this article? Sure, I'll go look and see if I have access to it and give it, give it to you. But but, um, but if, I think for, for graduate students, one, one big way to do this is also to do, you know, technical reports, your simple, like, three, four page reports of your, of your findings, right? And I do that for a lot of my research projects. And then post them on, you know, the a website or something like that, because it's totally open. Because then people can actually see it and use it without having to pay for an article or go find it and, and read through your academic jargon. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, I don't understand half of what you guys say anyway. <laughs> you guys, like, you don't write them? <laughs> Oops. It's all you people. Get off my lawn, you kids. No, it's a good idea, though. Like having, and also it goes back to the thing of like a way to get your work out there without having to actually, if you're uncomfortable. Some people, there's no way on earth they're ever going to do an interview. Right. But if you still have other mechanisms for getting your research out there so it can be picked up. And I find right. a lot of, strangely, a more of my stuff that is in open access places gets cited a lot more than, right. you know, and I guess that makes sense. I mean, okay, clearly I'm under caffeinated because I'm like talking in circles. Jan has inflicted me with her talking in circles. <laughs> but I know people who, you know, have their own websites, right? And and they post kind of a summary of what their, their art, you know, hey, I have this new article out and here's the summary and like, here's graphs and here's, here's the key takeaway pieces, right? And that's super, and then post it like, hey, here's a link on Twitter or whatever where people can find it. And I think, um, you know, people, a few people come to mind with that do that. And, and it's, I'm always like, that's such a good idea. I wish I did that. <laughs> we could, never, we're just, you know, we just can't get it together. Or I'll speak for right, myself. Right, I just haven't, haven't, haven't sat down to do it. But but it's a great idea, and I think it's really helpful. And sometimes, like, as an educator, right, sometimes I assign 
the blog post to go along with the the article that they're reading because you know especially for undergrads because it, it can be more difficult to to read and digest an article but hey this blog post is basically giving I mean it's giving you the same exact information because it's written by the author right so it's giving you the same exact information just in an easier to digest form it's very helpful. By the way, the reason why my brain left my body momentarily was because Jan said something I had to write down in terms of a, a, for, a, a future podcast topic, conference networking. I don't know why, what, what it was you said that got me thinking, oh, we have to, we have to talk about conference networking. But I think in an upcoming podcast, we're going to have to talk about how we take a bunch of fundamentally introverted, nerdy, geeky, awkward people 4,000 of them and put them in giant rooms together. That will be, a, a, and, and, and there's no cage match, which honestly, quite <laughs> frankly, I would pay to see, but I digress. <laughs> so on that note, um, we'll catch you guys on the flip side.